evening, everyone. Um, <laughs> I when I was calling in, right? I um, I use Skype to call, and I have a whole little phone book in my Skype app to call um, various things and various people. Um, and because um, well, it doesn't matter. Anyways, I had this whole big list of people, and I'm on hold, and I'm and. I was distracted, so it hadn't even crossed my mind that I had called the wrong number until the tech picked up at GoDaddy and asked me how he could help me. And I'm like, oh, I dialed the wrong number. <laughs> and I've been on hold with them. So how embarrassing is that? How am I? Come on now. <laughs> I was on hold the whole time listening to GoDaddy's spiel. <laughs> he was thinking, <laughs> I'm a total ditz. I was like, I'm supposed to be talking, I'm supposed to be on Blog Talk because I'm doing a podcast. And he laughed and he said, Well, good luck with your podcast. And I said, Good night. <laughs> and I hung up and I dialed and I had like 30 seconds before the podcast started um, to get all the way through my screen, you know, through my password and everything. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I did. Um, I was, I was actually working on my blue moon entry yesterday and uh, coming to some realizations about how I would um, fuse um the canons of two shows an urban fantasy environment and the um the basic elements of ladyhawk and it's a little daunting because um it's uh well ladyhawk is a romance which means an urban fantasy can have a romance in it but it can't be the central plot to the story, and in fact, you have to be able to remove all the romance elements um, of an urban fantasy, and it still work as a book in order for it to qualify as urban fantasy. Otherwise, it's paranormal romance. Um, and so, I was uh, in. The, I came to the realization that number one, um, that they that they couldn't be cursed for the same reason. That that couldn't be cursed out of jealousy, and two that the the um, remedy for the curse couldn't be the same. Shouldn't be the same because otherwise it implies a romantic relationship um, being central to my plot, and that's not um, helpful to my my goal to write an urban fantasy. And so I was thinking about you know, what events I would drop, um, what elements I would keep from um, Lady Hawk, um, elements that I would keep and characters I would keep from Hawaii Five-O and from NCIS. Um, do I want to deal with, you know, Ziva, who I hate? Um, and You know, and just how would I, you know, what are the elements that are essential to NCIS and Hawaii Five-O um, to justify this being fan fiction versus just writing my own original work based on the premise of star-crossed lovers separated by a curse. It's it's a pretty standard plot device, to be honest. And so it was, you know, and then that wouldn't, again, be an urban fantasy. It'd be a paranormal. And um, 
So I'm I'm looking at the the suspense elements and the timelines for the shows, and it crossed my mind that um, inserting such a a large concept of um, an urban fantasy environment into two shows that have absolutely no paranormal elements is um, difficult. It's very difficult. So what I thought I would do is um, go through a few scenarios tonight um, providing examples on how to do that, on how to take um, new elements and insert them in concepts and insert them into um, fandom situations as an example because I thought that might be entertaining and helpful as we move towards the Blue Moon Challenge. Um, and um, I know, you know, it's it's really, uh, I think it'll be more beneficial to plotters. And it always goes that way. Because I never, because honestly, as much as I have pantsed in the past, I don't think I pants the way nor other people pants. If that's something that you do naturally, I don't think I do it the same way you do. And so it makes it difficult to um, to really uh, structure topics and shows around um, that theoretical process um, because there was a, a conversation um, amongst the squad and um, talking about... Um, yeah, definitely not. Lady Holder said in the chat room, your version of pantsing is not mine. That's absolutely entirely positive and certain because um, I did I did a whole bunch of world building before I pantsed Revenant. And apparently that's not how you do that. <laughs> apparently world building doesn't... I don't... I didn't... Um, yeah, so uh, I... I pantsed a lot less than I thought I did, but I have never, um, oh, God, that makes me so nervous. You would not believe the comments I'm getting in this chat room. Lady Horse says, I can take a concept and I can write a whole story. It, it is making me break out in highs. My knee's itching. <laughs> but just insane, just absolutely insane. My knee is itching. I was outside with my dogs and um, mosquitoes. Oh. <clears throat> Anyways, I uh, so you know when I explore concepts like this, uh, I, I hope that um, listening to it on the fly is just as helpful to you as um, people who who write more in line with my habits um, as a plotter. Oh gosh, Rogue. Oh gosh. Oh, that hurt my heart. Oh. Rogue says, "There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that's it." I just, just really, really. I, you know those little shorts in Rough Trade. You know those little challenge shorts, the the um, variation challenges on the. Um, on the forum, I think that whole thing out in my head before I write it down. So I like pants those. I mean, I'm not saying I throw out a whole plot document for a thousand words, but um, I have a I have a plan and a scene structure and a goal and um, character motivations and and 
You girls make me nervous. Just. I was listening to pat, um, plot drifts um, that are on the 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 archive from when we had done them last summer, and I was listening to Lady Holders, and oh, God. <laughs> the way she spreads her plot out in that podcast is fascinating, but also nerve wracking. Uh, it was the most nerve wracking experience for me. I was like, "What, really? What?" <laughs> No, you don't. And it's really interesting that um, to, to to listen to her and then to listen to me and then to listen to Jilly, um, just the difference between the three of us. Um, and considering, you know, that we do have um, writing relationships between the three of us as far as beta and alpha reading goes, it's just really interesting to, to listen to them um, handle all that stuff. And it's also, like I said, in Lady Holder's case, kind of nerve-wracking for me because – um, I, what it boils down to is I have to know what happens next before I start. And by next, I mean for the next, I don't know, 50 scenes. <laughs> I have to know. I have to know. And Lady Holder doesn't have to know. It can be a complete fucking surprise. <sighs> Girl. One thing leads to another. So it's like Lady Holder seduces her work. And I plot and kidnap mine. (laughs) Stalking. I'm definitely stalking my plot. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's sending her plot flowers and shit. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, So it does make for when I'm... of doing shows on the podcast um, for craft, it, it is an interesting um, um, something that I have to acknowledge that uh, when I talk about these concepts and the way that I do them, that these exercises aren't necessarily beneficial to plot to um, to pantsers. And I'm sorry, I don't have a solution to that. It does lead to tea lady murders. Because I deleted it. (laughs) Delete, delete, delete. Oh, that's so evil. I did leave it with her. Um, I did have to step away from that. Because I I realized that that I could not write with her. Um, And... Uh, has absolutely nothing to do with her abilities because she's super talented. Um, it's just that she's so unpredictable, um, and I can't. I my brain can't. I can't. I can't deal. I can't deal with it at all. And it's not you know. It's, it's not her. It's me. Um, I, I mean that not in a facetious way, but like. Um, she um she, she really is you know unpredictable as a writer and that's fascinating to watch from a distance but to watch it in something that's mine too um was really uh wow. 
Desert says, I do a combination of pantsing and plotting. Is there a word for that? I can't think of one. (laughs) Call it skirting. <laughs> I really have no idea. There's, um, I have met some people who are like that. That they're very much a hybrid, um, and they're very interesting to to um, watch in their process. Um, but again, it's kind of nerve wracking. Um, very disturbing to me. Um, just that whole not knowing, and it, I, you know, I like to surprise my readers. I don't like to surprise myself. A plotster? I don't like surprises. I think surprises are terrible and they're horrible and they're uncomfortable. And normally they're never any good. They're just a path to misery. Like when your grandma used to buy you a sweater. You know, before you opened that sweater, it was going to be terrible. She'd tell you, I bought you a sweater the other day when I was at the store. And you're thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to open the sweater. But you do open it. And you pretend you like it. My grandma didn't even wait till Christmas. Terrible. Terrible. Anyways, um, not actually even doing the actual podcast. I did um, change my rating on my show to PG-13 um, um, for this particular show, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to make my podcast for um, craft be a little more audience-friendly, uh, just because. So I'm trying to avoid using the F word. We'll see how that works out. If I don't make it, I'll just change the rating back to R um, after it archives. <laughs> yeah, we can't say any of the fun C words either. Or P the P word or um, just, you know. Like I said, if I don't make it, I can always change the rating later. <laughs> of course, I do have it at PG-13, which is, you know, parental guidance required. And I'm really of the opinion, as long as I don't discuss explicit anal sex, that I'll be okay. Is that too far already? It probably is. Anyway, we want to get started. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to change. I'm, I'm gonna have to change that title probably, um, maybe um, to Wordcraft or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, big concepts. Uh, I talked about. Um, 
you know, this is actually not the best show to start my my whole PG-13 thing on because what I was going to, I mentioned what I had written down on my notes was to talk about um, Ties That Bind, and we really um, can't do that on a PG-13 show. Uh, So I guess I'll be changing the rating on the show after all. (laughs) But um, I'm talking about... uh, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I was talking to Julie the other night about Ties That Bind and how I'd had several writers who wanted to write in my verse and um, and how that can be uh, difficult lo- logistically um, and specifically that I encountered a writer who wanted to write um, an historical ver- uh, TTB to be included in my verse and got really bent out of shape when I told her I had changed the timeline on Ties That Bind and that the only kind of slavery that had ever existed on Earth in Ties That Bind was sexual um, and that there, had, that there had been no civil war um, and that um, submissive rights um, was the issue uh, across all um, cultural and ethnic, um, ethnic boundaries that submissive rights is where the problems come in. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that um, <clears throat> when you take a concept like dynamic and insert it into the fabric of a society from the very beginning, like I did with Ties That Bind, um, it's not learned behavior. This is of their species. They are dyna- um, um, they are dynamic at birth. This is this is not learned or societal um, roles being assigned to them arbitrarily this is the way they're born uh and when you think about it in that context uh the idea of slavery outside of sexual circumstances uh would be aberrant because that would include uh, if you did it by along ethnic um boundaries that would include enslaving dominance which would be beyond the scope of a dominant to force slavery on one of their own. Um, So it changes a lot. Anyway, this particular person was furious um, that she couldn't write about a plantation um, owner um, owning a bunch of black slaves uh, in ties that bind. And I told her to never email me again ever as long as she lived. But that's a different matter altogether because it just, it's just not that it, it doesn't fit with my world building. And, Making those decisions uh, when you're building a world can be very difficult and even daunting, especially when it comes to a concept like um, personal freedoms and slavery and um, even the prison system. I had to think about the prison system and how, you know, how they would deal with with uh, sex crimes and and how that would um, have changed with. Um, abolishing submissive slavery and how um how various uh pleasure houses uh dealt with the changes around them um in the world it wouldn't have happened at all demad Because she wouldn't have existed. 
after any situation to take place like that, she, her ancestor would have been, had to have been brought over, forced here into that situation to create that exact person. And I don't want to name it on the podcast, um, but that the implication that she would even exist is an implication that slavery happened, and that isn't what happened in Ties That Bind. So the so the the um, the idea that she would exist in those exact same circumstances and come across that person at the same in the moment where she was supposed to in our timeline is impossible because she wouldn't have existed. And if a version of her did exist, um, her ancestor was from Africa. Uh, that's where she'd probably be during that time period. As far as technology is concerned, world travel was not as prevalent as it is today. So you, so that kind of that really plays when you change something so big in history. That change will ripple out through. Out the whole timeline, it changes everything. And one of the things that I'm going to be grappling with and hold my coffee um, is the implication of the changes that took place on Earth because a version of, of Elizabeth Weir who was back in time 10,000 years, came back to Earth with the ancients. Where'd she go? Where is she? What'd she do? Did she stay on Earth? Did she ascend? These are all questions that I have to ask myself going forward, having done what I've done, what I did, um, in the plot document for for that particular series. And so when you alter a timeline, <laughs> when you, or maybe she left notes for herself in the ancient outpost. I foreshadowed that, by the way. For those of you who listen to my my podcast on foreshadowing, um, well, it makes you think that if um, McKay did it, that Elizabeth Weir wouldn't. Yeah, so it um it all plays. It all plays. Um and who knows? Who knows what she left behind for her um self. I have some ideas. It's gonna um be more relevant in season two, but I have some ideas for it. I haven't plotted. I do know. I do know what she might have theoretically left. I have, I left a whole list of it. Um, and also, um, I had to acknowledge how cryptic she would have had to have been, even with herself, because she couldn't guarantee that she would find it. Anybody in the expedition could have found it. Sam Carter could have found it. Daniel Jackson could have found it. Um, Meredith could have found it. Carson Beckett might have found it. 
No, I don't know the way on the lot of numbers. If I did, I'd be going down to the border to buy some. Mm, anyway, so those kinds of changes, when you make them, um, they have to ripple out. Otherwise, it looks disingenuous, and more importantly, um, it becomes a plot hole. A big one. I would say, if Alt-Weird did go back to Earth with the Ancients, and she did to breed, she definitely would have done it with an Ancient. Just saying. Anyways, so, um, are you kidding me? Think about that for a minute and reconsider what you just said. Bunch of fucking wacko agents. <laughs> okay, so... I'm doing NCIS and um, Hawaii Five-O, and I'm trying to figure out uh, where my guys are going to be cursed and by who. Um, they'll be cursed by the same person, but for different reasons. And so I've been going through the timeline, and when they get cursed is super important because, number one, I have to coincide it with um, if I'm going to go with the astrological event, which I don't think I, I'm on the fence about it. Because um, during those 10 years, um, the timeline is really in play. Uh, a total solar eclipse wouldn't be visible from the United States. I looked. Yes, I did. Um, so it's it becomes a thing. So figuring out how to insert. And it's also because they don't need to, to appear in front of the person who cursed them together as a couple because he didn't curse them because they were together. Janice was crazy. Super crazy. Um... One thing I did decide, I've already decided, that is instead of um, Tony getting the plague, Tony's going to get cursed. He'll be cursed um, shortly before uh, the events um, leading up to Kate's death in, in NCIS canon. And once he's cursed, that will... That will obliterate the entire timeline afterward. Because it changes everything. Because you can't take one person out of the equation and then everything run the same. It wouldn't work that way. We all make ripples as we move through a situation. Um, and 
those ripples change everybody around us. We 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 impact people, their thoughts, their ideas, their um, their emotions, um, their reactions. Would Gibbs and Kate even be on that rooftop if Tony wasn't there? Uh, had they, you know, what are they doing? How did they respond to him being cursed? How was their team changed? How do they handle his curse? And and all these things that they come into play. They have to. Uh, when you're thinking about uh, various events in canon when it comes to fandom, now in 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 original fiction, uh, in original fiction, when you put a uh, a person who wasn't in the original timeline into a timeline. Let's say you put Wonder Woman in the middle of World War One. It changes everything. If she saves one person's life who would have originally died if she had not been there, It changes everything. It will ripple out. If the day, if the war ends one day late earlier, one week earlier, because of her actions, it changes when people come home. It changes people when they, if they live or die. It changes. If a baby gets made 10 days earlier than it should have been made, the baby won't even look the same. Because it won't be the same baby. Say John Shepard is created by his parents on January 3rd, 1968. I'm, I'm... Plucking it right out of the air. That's not accurate. Don't quote me on it. Say the timeline gets changed and his parents don't hook up that week until the 5th. Well, the egg would be the same, but the sperm would be different. And whatever sperm got to the egg might be different. And John Shepard doesn't exist as we know him to, to exist. That's how fragile the timeline can be. Um, it's something that we ignore in time travel fiction um, to a great de- to a great degree because the sperms aren't all the same, right? So you know they're going to have different genetic material, different genetic variations, and whichever sperm gets there first, you know, is the winner. But it could be an entirely different sperm that gets there that time. So when you get down to the to the nitty gritty, any change you make in the timeline can have catastrophic consequences. Can change everything. You could prevent the birth of the Wright brothers. 
John F. Kennedy could be born 10 years later than he was supposed to be born. Think about that. It's kind of horrifying if you think about how one little change in World War One because of Wonder Woman um, could change the entire trajectory of our country. You know, so that can be very daunting when you're... But what you need to keep in mind as a writer is that you don't have to go that deep. (laughs) It's just an example of what could happen, what you could do um, if you wanted to explore an alternate history or an alternate timeline. Um, Because it could be something really small that literally changes everything. That's why I always, when um, I I read stories or I I watch movies or TV shows where aliens really did come to Earth like in 1950 or so, and I'm like, really? You're not going to address that? You're not going to, really, you're just going (laughs) to... Stick that in there and not tell us what aliens did, how they impacted um, everything. Because even if they're secret, even if they're a secret, they're going to impact everything. Scientific discovery. Um, And nothing really drives humans more and greed and ambition and you have someone in power in 1950 who comes across an alien who has much much more power that they could take for themselves what happens after that what caught what rippled out from that realization what would change and we've talked about this before in the past, and um, um, might as well bring it up now. Um, it's actually one of Jilly's pet peeves about Harry Potter, so I'm gonna let her come on the air and talk about it because um, I need to go get my dog before he makes my neighbor lose his fucking mind. So, um, <clears throat> are you there? I'm here. I'm just gonna turn the air conditioner off so that I don't get windy <laughs> noises here for. Quiet. <laughs> She's got a freaking 747. <laughs> that sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they gave us Velcro and silly string and went home. Maybe they did. Maybe that's why we have Velcro even now. What if they hadn't come away and we, and we didn't have Velcro? Yeah. <laughs> we can't not have Velcro. <laughs> it would be bad. Is, it's necessary for life. NASA would have been screwed without Velcro. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Tying your shoes in zero grav is apparently pretty hard. 
<laughs> Especially if you don't have anything Velcro-y to stick your feet on. You're screwed. Everything's screwed. You talked um, in the past about Harry Potter, um, and now my dog has stopped barking. I'm going to go get him anyway. Um, about them changing Harry's circumstances and then everything happening the same regardless. Oh, so, God, it's such, a, it's, su- it's such a nutty idea that you can So change. you discuss that, and I'll, I'll I'm going to go get it. Kronos before the neighbor cries. Okay, hold on. Actually, I'm going to go a different, a little bit different route with the changing everything. So, like, if you have a, I was pondering a story where Tony never came. Actually, for good reason, because I'm writing one, a story where Tony was never at NCIS. And if you consider, if I consider the reality of what that would actually look like, like everybody's dead, because Tony saved almost everybody's life in the early seasons of NCIS. So, um. So just so being super literal, you can take that to the degree of like, well, there's just no point in writing that because, you know, everybody would be dead. There'd be no cast. There's nobody for Tony to interact with, and that's that. Uh, or figure out maybe not be quite. In that case, I kind of had to look, look a little bit like not quite so much at what the actual ripple effects would be. Um, specifically in um, Vicious. Um, Tony is in an alternate timeline because in his when he was on the early on when he was on the force he was shot in the hip and it took him out of police work and made him a he decided to go per, pursue forensic sciences. So when I considered and when I reconstructed the timeline, um, I also decided that in order for any of the NCIS stuff to be happening. Um, in tandem, I considered what implication the Sentinel Guide stuff would have on Gibbs if Gibbs came online right before Shannon and Kelly died. So in order to mitigate the fact that everybody at NCIS would be dead if Tony was ne- had never joined, not quite literally everybody, but most everybody, all the people I cared about, um, if Tony had joined um, the FBI instead or was in, a, you know, or was in forensics, what how do I mitigate that loss of all those people? And the way I chose to do it was, because it's a Sentinel Guide AU, is I needed to soften Gibbs up in order to make him not quite so unbearable. And the way to soften him, I felt, most easily, was to have his daughter survive um, so that he's not quite so hardened and so unbearable to deal with. Um, but I didn't feel like, when I considered those ripple implications, I didn't feel like, even with Gibbs being softer, that the team would survive intact the way it is in canon. Um, Kate was Gibbs' pick, so I figured Kate would be on the team. That would work. Now, I don't know that she would have survived with Bastard Gibbs um, without Tony around to run interference, but I figure softened Gibbs probably works with Kate. Um, but McGee, I don't think McGee would have survived. Um, without Tony around. So I actually, the way I wrote it in the sequel to Vicious and Heathen, is that uh, McGee is uh, failed his probationary period, and he's an analyst um, or um, part-time in cybercrime, and he works with uh, Gibbs' team on occasion, but he's kind of got no spine. He's just completely cowed by Gibbs and by the women on Gibbs' team. Now, there was another senior field agent on the team 
who died when in the bomb that Tony saved Kate and McGee from. So I kind of considered what all the events were and what the ramifications would be if Tony wasn't there, if Gibbs was a little bit softer, and how that would turn out to produce the team that I have um, get introduced in, in Heathen. And so I had to kind of suspend my own disbelief a little bit because I don't think that anybody recognizable at NCIS, if you truly do a true ripple effect of Tony not being there, would be on the team. But I didn't want that, so I kind of had to play with how to make it happen in a way that was believable, that would get some of the team there in different circumstances perhaps. And um still make everybody recognizable to some degree and not just have to just have a whole original cast to get used to. But when it comes to something like um but when you make a major change like Tony not being there at all or Harry grew up in a loving family, you just can't you can't assume that canon is going to play out the same way. I mean, yeah, maybe like in the case of NCIS, some crimes are still going to happen. So like some some of the specific episodes, some casework is going to still happen because Tony not being around doesn't impact somebody stealing guns or trading weapons or acts of terror necessarily. But it does impact the people that he worked with. Um, It also impacts whether or not Gibbs' team gets the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The story I'm working on right now for October um, goes back to a major change. I'm kind of doing a sliding doors thing uh, where I have one story takes two different stories completely, but one branches, you know, one one has something significant happening to Tony at his early days, very early days, like when the first six months at NCIS, and the other, that event didn't happen. And... Um, I fucking love one of the sliding doors too. Yeah, so it in considering what the how that event played out for Tony, um, one of the things I decided to do is construct what his early um, life at NCIS was like. And I Gibbs Gibbs, as we see in Baltimore, was not working on a team. Um, I think he was working alone. He was like working as a lone agent. Um, and the way I decided to approach that was that. Tony's recruited to be Gibbs' partner, that they wanted these agents working in pairs. Um, And so Tony was recruited to be Gibbs' partner. And then about a year, year and a half into his tenure with Gibbs, um, the lead of the current major case response team reaches retirement age, and Tom Morrow wants Gibbs to take over the MCRT, but he'll have to find a senior field agent. And Tony's technically Gibbs' partner. So that becomes a moment of difference where Tony has to decide. Um, now, in in the one story where the events play out like we see in canon, Tony is very attached to Gibbs um, as, his, as his mentor, and, and he's very a little bit dependent on him and for his approval and stuff. And he, of course, agrees to be Gibbs' senior field agent. It's a much bigger deal in the Sliding Doors version of this where Gibbs comes to Tony and says, this is what Tom wants, and I'd like you to be a senior field agent, and Tony really has to think about it and lays down some different rules for what that would look like because they've been partners for a year and a half at this point, and becoming Gibbs' subordinate um, would change. He's worried about how that's going to change their working dynamics. 
And so things become different in the sense that they're more explicitly dealt with and they have um, better communication, you know. So working out um, how things are changed when you change a key thing, and actually it was it was a relatively small thing that changes for Tony, um, and between the two universes, and the, the and the, the thing that changes is how he what how he handled things after Wendy left him, and that was the basically the critical event between the two universes is the one week after Wendy left him what happened in that week and and so I had to really think about you know how does that how does that look different for Tony as his relationship with Gibbs is evolving because he's not as interested in Gibbs' approval he's not um, feeling as lost and adrift as he was in in the what I consider more my canon timeline and so it's interesting to play out those two things but canon can't proceed in the second the sliding door story the way it does in the first in the regular story because Tony is completely different. And if I don't take into account him being different and how those events play out, then it was sort of like, what's the point of making the change? And I guess that's one of my biggest pet peeves, because what's the point of making a change that all only happens in the character's head? That's just the script with, you know, thoughts. I mean, it's, it's just, it there's just doesn't seem a lot of point to me to making a big change, and the ramifications of that are all internal. So like with Harry Potter, I know I should, you know, write my dad and tell him that there's a, there's a three-headed dog on the third floor corridor, but um, I'm not going to for all of these reasons. And therefore, you know, the, the book proceeds apace, and the only difference is that Harry thought about writing his father. Well, I mean, what is the point? My um, Harry and the one that I wrote where James and Lily live um, wouldn't write his parents because he would be on the communication mirror with them outside the door saying, Mom, Dad, look at this, and open the door and show them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that works too. (laughs) Would you look at the shit he's got in the school? (laughs) But he wouldn't just ponder the idea of writing his parents, then decide to discard the idea, and then never tell them, and then canon proceeds. Because just changing a character's internal monologue isn't accounting for a ripple effect. When you um, when you have Harry grow up with good, supportive parents, um, in a situation like that where he's been freaked out, he's been bullied by... Um, the school caretaker. Um, he's uh, come face to face with a three-headed dog that almost ate him. Um, he's 11 years old. He's going to want his mom mm-hmm. if he's got one. Or he's going to want his dad. He's going to want somebody. He's not going to want to go back to his dorm and just be okay with it. That's just not what's going to happen. Of course, you also have to keep in mind that a Harry Potter that grew up, say, in Sirius Black's household would not have had an antagonistic relationship with Draco Malfoy, would not have been challenged to a duel, and then bullied into attending this thing by Ron Weasley. He wouldn't have been out of the dorm anyway. He wouldn't have seen the three-headed dog. As it plays out in canon. He might have seen it differently. 
Or he might have seen it leaving the school when he caught when he mirror called his parents and said, "Hey, we can't go on the third um, floor corridor, and if we do, we'll die. Do you want to come look at this, Dad?" <laughs> what, this what is that cool. about? You said Hogwarts was going to be safe. <laughs> he said, "I know the Forbidden Forest is bad. I get it, but what's wrong with the third floor?" <laughs> I know you said that the forest was dangerous, but you didn't say I couldn't go on the third floor. I don't understand. Why didn't you warn me? What's up there? Because you know the Weasley twins are already scoping it out. (laughs) I don't want my friends to die. (laughs) I have a little story that I'm writing where um, Dumbledore thought he freed the Potter elves, but he didn't. Um... Because they were bonded with family magic versus individual magic. Uh, And so, Emmy goes to live on Privet Drive with Harry Potter. And she finds out that that Petunia is not quite the mother she should be. And she takes care of that. And she brings a portrait of James's father to Privet Drive. And that portrait educates Harry. So by the time he gets to Hogwarts, he has had a thorough nobleman's education. And he's not quite the animal that Dumbledore expected. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet. (laughs) It's it's a work in progress. Um, He meets Hermione on... um, uh, on Diagon Alley, and they become friends. And so, by the time they get on the train, um, they're best friends, and they get on the train together. And um, uh, Harry, um, um, Harry's had his house elves um, spying on Dumbledore for years, and so um, he knows that Ron Weasley's a plant, and um, he's just he's just not quite the animal that anybody is really prepared to deal with. <laughs> and so I've um I've written about twenty five K I think. So um so I'm I'm piddling along with it. Um anyways, but uh I left her to talk about Harry Potter and I came back she was talking about NCIS. I know That's well, I on my you... list. <laughs> well I didn't think I was just brought up the whole idea of if you change something dramatic and um When you left, I said that the first thing that popped in my mind about changing something significant was that the reality of of a situation where Tony joins, doesn't join NCIS, is that everybody's dead. So you can either be super, (laughs) super, you know, deal with with that ripple or figure out a way to mitigate it. I don't actually agree with that. Because your assumption well, is is that whoever would be in Tony's place would be completely and utterly incompetent and get all of his coworkers killed. Well, no, but some of the things that Tony um, specifically, I don't think competence, Tony was unusually brave, and usually when he saved his coworkers, it was at some extreme act that not a lot of people could do. So I don't think it's so much a reflection of an incompetent coworker, but not many people would have taken um, McGee's place at that bomb in um, Twilight and saved McGee and Kate from being blown up. Um, the whole team probably would have gone up right then. Um, not many people could have saved Gibbs from drowning. Um, 
what I would say about that is that his senior field agent, if she, if he had been sent there just like um, Shepard sent Tony, that he probably would have saved Gibbs, but he might not have saved the girl. That's probably true, and Gibbs probably would have been furious. Well, the thing is that Gibbs was Gibbs was stuck in a way that the girl wasn't, um, which is Tony so he was might have saved the girl and not Gibbs. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the way. I mean. Yeah, because Gibbs, Gibbs was stuck. Um, the, the steering column was stuck. So Tony Tony was trying to pull Gibbs out. Gibbs kind of like almost passed him, Maddie, you know, like take her, not without saying it, but he kind of like take her because Gibbs was completely stuck under the steering wheel. And Tony came back down and broke the steering column and pulled um, Gibbs out after he'd already drowned. So yeah, not maybe not but everybody would have gone back for Gibbs. Another senior field agent might not have given Gibbs room for it to get that far gone to begin with. But the fact of the matter is, is that Tony, um, a lot of times, uh, was very per- permissive with with Gibbs and didn't follow through in, in his position as senior field agent and kind of reining him in and say, whoa, 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 we can't we can't do it this way. We need to do it. You know, you need to. Bring it in, Ahab. Bring it in. <laughs> well, true. But actually, in the case of Requiem, Gibbs went off grid, and he took. He didn't take his cell phone. He 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 basically abandoned his team and didn't tell him what was going on. And Tony went to the director and said, "What do we do?" And she said, well, "Go find him." Um, so I don't know that any senior field agent could prevent have prevented what Gibbs did in Requiem no matter how assertive they were with him. Because when your boss puts down his, his cell phone and his, and his gun, basically, and walks out the door, you can't arrest him. And he gives interpreted yeah, do, as being a personal I do, matter. I do wonder if um, his relationship with Tony had been slightly different if he'd have gone off reservation at all. I think for Gibbs not to go off the reservation, I think that he would have... Uh, well, I mean, I think if their relationship was a little bit... Actually, maybe closer, he might not have, but... More intimate? Yeah, if Gibbs... if Gibbs, um, You have to completely deconstruct Gibbs for him not to be such a cowboy. Um, and that's not really my... I don't know if that's really a function of Tony being <laughs> there. Um, Gibbs is, um, is detached from life. He's... Um, not saying he's suicidal, but he doesn't care if he lives or dies, and and there and there is a difference between the two. He's not afraid to die, um, yeah. But he's not actively seeking it. Um, but if he had somebody in his life that genuinely depended on him, that genuinely um, engaged him on an intimate level, um, the way Shannon did, um, he wouldn't be so reckless. I agree, and it, and it would change a hundred things in canon. A thousand things, and that all plays. It's like with Harry growing up with a, with a parent who really loves him. It would it would change the way he interacted with with Ron, with Hermione, with Draco, um, with his professors. It would change how he did his homework if he had someone at home who had expectations for him. So our relationships with other people change them. For good and bad. Mm-hmm. Because Harry's lack of, of curiosity, that was 
bred in him by the Dursleys. His his not wanting to stand out, his him him not wanting to to be seen. That's all the Dursleys. Be normal. Be normal. You can't be extraordinary, Harry Potter. You have to be normal. You can't be curious because we're not curious. You have to be normal, Harry. You have to be average. You have to be less than Dudley. And he sure as hell wouldn't have been so open to Dumbledore's manipulations, um, for good or bad, um, if he'd had a genuine parent at home. Yeah, definitely. And probably, I mean, a, a good parent wasn't going, wouldn't have let Tony, I mean, not Tony, Harry, grow up under Dumbledore's influence. So he would be um, probably heavily cautioned going to school about Dumbledore's behavior. He'd be at the International Academy of Magic if he was my kid. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, one of the, that's, that's one of the biggest, biggest things that perplexes me in stories that are dramatically different, um, especially where Harry has good parents and everybody knows Dumbledore is a twat, is that Harry still winds up at Hogwarts. While Dumbledore's I, I, there. It's like, What? <laughs> so you all know Dumbledore is a terrible influence and he's going to probably try to do something underhanded. He's got control of the wards on this incredible school and you're going to send Harry to school there? I, I don't get it. Um, it maybe depends they try. on what kind of game, what kind of game they're playing. Um, because who plays, Dumbledore who is very dangerous. But it could be that Harry is safer if Dumbledore is completely unaware of the fact that they're on to him. If Dumbledore thinks everything is going to his plan and he's not as dangerous, but when Dumbledore is thwarted, just like when Voldemort is thwarted, when Dumbledore doesn't get his way, he is ten times more dangerous than he is when, when, he, when, when he thinks everything is going just the way it should. This is the thing where I the, there's the the notion that Dumbledore I can see Dumbledore being very powerful in Britain, but the fact that he's all powerful everywhere is actually it's sort of a trope that I I personally don't like. So I mean I think we're, if I were Harry's Harry's mom, I'd just be packing that kid up and we'd be moving to Australia, um, because the idea that 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 Dumbledore's reach is you know almost um, omnipotent is kind of weird to me. Um, and so it's not, it's probably not a trope that I would probably work with personally. I mean, I think I like if you Roger, do have... Um, flawed and kind of ditzy or evil and kind of incompetent. Because most of them are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, somebody somebody mentioned, uh, Damon had mentioned uh, three of, I'm not sure what actually it was in reference to, um, but um, about Tony going to the Don um, and making the family go legit. Um, like I said, I don't understand the, the context of the question, and you could clarify for me what, what that context of what that was. Did but he break up the mob in Chicago or something? Um, Baltimore, actually. But um, Baltimore. 
so here's something interesting um, that came up um, the other day when I was working on the story that I'm publishing in October. Is I have Tony talking about with his um, lover. He's talking about his his work history, and they get to Baltimore, and his 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 partner is like, "Why aren't you in protect? Why why didn't they give you a new identity? I don't I don't understand." And as I was writing it, I realized how bizarre that whole plot point was that Tony was under because I mean it it comes up in several episodes of NCIS that Tony was responsible for going undercover with that mob family in Baltimore and bringing them down and putting the Don in jail, Tony. And yet and yet he was still working in homicide in Baltimore under his name without protective custody, without protection, without a protection detail. It's just so weird because usually undercover agents, undercover operatives like that, if they're known who they are, they they get a they get a, an identity change and they're never heard from again. Um, and I realized how utterly bizarre it was as I was writing that, and I almost didn't know what to do with it. It almost completely stalled me out because I couldn't come up with a rationalization <laughs> for why they were that callous with Tony's safety that he um, he it was just it's just so bizarre. That Tony was continuing to work in Baltimore because Tony was only in Baltimore for a couple of years, a year and a half or so. So that operation had to have taken most of his time in Baltimore, and conceivably it could have been why he transferred to Baltimore was that undercover operation. So it's just weird when you consider that he was successful, and that the that family, that mob family, when frame up happened, when they were looking for enemies of Tony's who would possibly be framing him. The, the that mob family were, were the top of the list. So clearly they had still had an agenda with Tony, and yet he was just working blithely in Baltimore as a homicide detective right in the middle of their territory. And that just doesn't I make any sense. I read a fic once where he had to leave Baltimore, um, and basically he was told um, that if he came back he'd be killed, but he could leave. He just couldn't come back. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a thing where my, I had an idea with the, the thing about the, the problem with the timing is that I had, I had written um, kind of a, a, an, a sort of started a story. It was kind of an idea that Tony was safe as long as he didn't step foot in Baltimore, except that Tony was still in Baltimore. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to work around. Um, I guess I, the way I, in this particular story, the way I addressed it was that uh, the trial hadn't happened yet, so that Tony actually went back in the summer after he went to NCIS and testified in the trial in closed court so that his identity would be protected. But it's just, it's still just a plot, big plot hole that, um, because undercover agents who go undercover with the mob don't just get to go, if they're successful, they don't just get to go back about their life. They get killed if they do. So, I don't know, it's just, it's just peculiar. And I, like I said, it kind of, it just, uh, it, uh, it stalled me out for a little bit on how I was going to address that. <laughs> because I kind of like written myself down into this rat hole where um, his, his lover thinks that his, his, 
coworkers and the police department, and then everybody is just incredibly negligent with his safety. Yeah, so he doesn't know what to do with it, and he, so he's really upset. And Tony's kind of like gets his back up, like you don't have any right to be upset about this. And he's kind of like, well, can you be objective about this at all and think that this isn't strange? Um, but anyway, I actually had to go back and rewrite because I had kind of gone down a rat hole that I couldn't get myself out of on that one. So I had to go back and re-approach it from a different angle. <laughs> but um, but that's what happens problem- when you let logic get in your spick. I know it's, it's like terrible. It's like it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me that it was a problem until I started writing it, and then I went, "Oh, this is terrible." Uh, okay, how do I fix this? Um, so yeah, <laughs> sometimes sometimes things just don't make us don't make sense. When you inject a paranormal element like werewolves, vampires, magic, psychic it can powers. impact the whole world. The psychic powers, um, depending on yeah, for real, depending on how you inject it. One of the ways that J.K. Rowling preserved reality's timeline is by hiding magic. Mm-hmm. Although Grindelwald still managed to insert himself into World War Two, right? Yeah, sort of. But it doesn't. It kind of didn't. Wasn't implied that he made things any worse, or that anything he did wasn't just attributed to Hitler. Right. So it's kind of the way I read um, it. Hidden societies are the easiest way to to insert paranormal elements and keep a timeline that you're comfortable with. Um, if you're comfortable changing the timeline and you make vampires um, come out of the coffin in the 1300s, um, shit gets real. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Denozo has alias, then who the fuck is senior? Yeah, in in the show canon, Denozo can't be his alias because he talks too readily, openly in the bullpen about that that about him going undercover with the mob. Um, people who are who are in protective custody who are um, given a, a sort of basically he's basically he's getting kind of like a witness relocation program kind of thing. Um, they don't talk about <laughs> what got them into relo witness witsec, and they don't talk about witsec at like Fight Club. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, you it's don't talk things. about witsec. <laughs> you don't talk about wit sex. Second rule of witness protection: and, you don't talk and, about and it. And if you're in a wit sex, you're not a cop. Mm-mm. You don't there's ever get to go back are, to the job you were doing. Yeah, there's some jobs people in witness prote- witness protection just can't do. Um, because there's also issues with somebody who has to give sworn testimony on a regular basis, who's in witness protection. I don't, I don't even know if they would be allowed you to do work that. Work as a doctor. You couldn't work as a nurse. You couldn't work in anything that required bonding. Um, you couldn't be a cop, a firefighter. Yeah, it would just be. So I, Denozo, I don't think you couldn't do. You couldn't have an any job where you could potentially be in court or on camera. Yeah, I agree that witness, you could potentially put Tony at the SGC for wit sec, but they'd have to know. 
that's what goes going on with Tony because their background checks honestly dig up terrible things. The SGC would be a perfect place for Witsuck just to set up. So what can yeah, you do? Really <laughs> How would you like to go somewhere where you'll be completely safe from the mob? Just the mob. How do you feel about space catfish? <laughs> <laughs> that that might try to eat you. <laughs> but the can you cook? Because you. Atlantis needs a chef. Can you cook? That'd be great. Because Atlantis needs a chef. Um, can you deal with unusual ingredients? Oh, you're a plumber. Rodney's gonna love you. <laughs> and you will be tea. great. Off you go. <laughs> but yeah, you had me at spaceships, pretty much. Yeah. My resolution to the, the situation with the thing is actually is, is it actually Tony doesn't really talk about it. He just tells his partner he has to back off and trust that Tony that he doesn't know all the information because it's actually risky if all the information gets out. But basically, my sort of internal thing is that everybody, almost everybody, was happy that the dawn was brought down, and um, it was sort of an under the table kind of agreement that Tony would be okay from the family, um, but that he really should consider getting out of Baltimore. So it's sort of an agreement yeah. between Tony and the Don's son, Mikey, who's taking over the family. I actually called him Mikey in the story. Um, but so I kind of, kind of, kind of, yeah, found, kind of found a way to deal we with it. It's, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's flawed. It's definitely got holes, but it's, I mean, I, it's less holes than the the, the plot hole Canon gave me. So. <laughs> um. That's one of the problems with going back and doing a pre-series story is I start stumbling on plot holes. I'm like, oh, oh, no, 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 come on. Damn it. Why can't you guys have any any internal consistency? Well, alternatively, she could just remove the whole mob thing. I could have. I could have just removed it. If there's a plot hole created by canon... And you can't deal with it, and it freaks you, and you just fuck it. Remove author hand wave of destiny. That never happened. <laughs> Instead of so like, Tony taking down the mob in Baltimore, he took down a serial killer. Look, fixed. Yeah, there you go. He, he was he was busy that day. He had a cold. And not only did he take down a serial killer, he killed the serial killer. So the serial killer can't come back <laughs> and kill him later. There you go. It's it was like amazing. In, in uh, Atlantis Codex, I was trying. I was I was like waffling for a long time about old old Elizabeth that I want to deal with her, and I decided I didn't. I just didn't want to deal with it, so I just wrote that out. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Boom. And I'm, I actually have a reason for why it didn't happen. Um, it actually fits perfectly well. I don't have to be a, be vague about it. But Tony's mother is who. Tony's mother's not Tony. Um, the Shepherd Boy's mother. Emma Shepard, who is an ancient, is the one who kept the city intact instead of Elizabeth because she knew all this was going to happen. So she did it. So that way Elizabeth, so the city never flooded and people didn't die, nobody went back in time, and Elizabeth didn't happen. So I found a way to reconcile it within the, within the canon, within the story plot line I had come up with as opposed to just completely dismissing it. But at first I was like, because at first I just went no, and then I went Okay, no, but I'm going to find a way to explain it, at least to myself, even if the audience never finds out how this is explained. I um, came across old Elizabeth in my Sentinels of Atlantis, um, and I decided uh, 
not to discover her in season one. You might have noticed. Um, might have. She's yeah. on the city. Yeah. Um, getting really find old, her getting older by the minute. Two. No, she'll be dead. Um, they're gonna find her body in season two. Oops. Aw. Holy shit, Elizabeth! Look at you. <laughs> That's How what you look this? like, mummified. <laughs> well, no, she's still be in stasis, and when the pod goes off. Rodney will find. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> let's not open this. <laughs> let John go get the jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs. No, we don't need to smell this because I don't think I don't think Elizabeth needs to smell needs to smell her own dead body. I I, I think that'd be very bad for a sentinel. Um, well, and the reason why I know, didn't would they even know it was Elizabeth? Um, she looked like Elizabeth even though she was old. I didn't think she. I didn't think she looked that much like her, but you know, it's just. It's such it literally okay. was her with makeup on. <laughs> I know, but to me, it just didn't look like it. So, I, but I guess Sentinels can see bone structure, and they would go, "Oh, that's Elizabeth." Or maybe John opens it and realizes he smells the connection and immediately closes it, and doesn't let uh, and doesn't let Elizabeth near it. I really don't think it'd be good for Elizabeth to smell her own dead body. I don't know how that would um, impact a sentinel. And, and that was my main push that I didn't want to um, deal with the consequences of Simon and Elizabeth having to um, interact with a latent version of herself. Because the Elizabeth who went back in time wouldn't have been a sentinel. She might ha- she she would have had the imperative and that's why she stayed with the city, but she wouldn't have um been online. Yeah. So that's how I was dealing with um with old Elizabeth in um in Sentinels of Atlantis. And of course I did something different with Hold My Coffee. A wee bit. A wee bit different. A little bit. A little bit. It's made some people cry. Just a little bit. But it does, It it, it that change will ripple out. When you look at that kind of change and you think, oh, well, it's not really a big deal because that character is has, has come and gone and she's dead and it's over with, except it's not. Because... Now there are a whole bunch of people on the city, ten of which literally owe their lives to McKay. Because those ten people would have died, or those um, nine people would have died, um, because they were the first ones through the gate when when the city flooded originally. So they knew they died once already. But she's also have been in a position to have saved the entire expedition for saving the city, for making their everything possible. So what happens the first time McKay and Weir go head to head? When they know that Weir already abandoned the mission once. It plays. It's it's um it becomes an issue of loyalty. And McKay's proven hers. And Elizabeth has proven to be exactly the opposite. Right.
or anybody who did trust her no longer does. Absolutely, no one will trust her it, because um, because it does it, it does become an issue of her small ethical breaches one after another, and then this big giant betrayal of of trust that. And the other side of it is, is what if McKay had been on the city and done her job, but didn't, wasn't able to get the city off the floor, I mean, off the floor of the ocean. Um, But maybe she would have succeeded if Elizabeth had been there and the entire expedition dies. Because McKay was by herself and she couldn't do it all. There's... They're smart people. They're going to think all that shit through and think of all the ways that McKay could have failed by herself. And be even angrier at Elizabeth for being Much so angrier. fucking selfish. Super selfish. So when you make a change in the timeline like I did and hold my coffee, um, there are ramifications that you have to address and adjust as you move through your plot. Otherwise, it starts to look um, false and the narrative will be off um, and people your reader might not know why it's off why everything's a little maladjusted but they'll feel it it will your your changes the change that you so carefully chose your what if because usually when you make a change that's what's driving you to want to write the story um and usually when you make that change, your your change, this thing that is your plot device, starts to become a red herring because there's no ramifications from it. So it becomes what is the point of it. It's sort of like, um, so any of you who watched The Big Bang Theory, and um, when Penny deconstructs, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and points out how Harrison Ford's um, Indiana Jones's um, participation in the movie had absolutely no impact on the end of the movie that everything would have worked had gone that way no matter what whether he had been there or not and everything <laughs> they point out everything they point out she points out how he was completely unnecessary to the plot to the, how the, to the end, end game of the story and it was like all these geeks just sort of deflated. They were so, what? <laughs> My worldview has just been totally shattered because she pointed out that um, that the main character was irrelevant to the story. Well, this is kind of the same thing, which is that your your big change, the, the thing that you probably wrote the plot summary about, if it doesn't change anything, it, it becomes irrelevant. So what was the point of it? Well, now wait. I'm going to have to ask for her explanation of Indiana finding the Ark. Uh, I'll, I'll have to find the YouTube video. Um, cause they, they, the, yeah, the, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, because I'll find he it. finds the Ark. He finds the Ark of the Covenant because he had the thing. She had it, and then he put it on the stick, and he knew how to put it on the stick the right length and found a location, and he's the one that actually found the Ark of the Covenant. So what she's saying that is eventually they would have found it anyway, and he was completely unnecessary. Because the Nazis oh God, were digging in the wrong so place. Much, there's multiple websites um, talking about 
it's actually Amy's argument that Indiana Jones is irrelevant to the plot. And there's like multiple websites that are questioning, is Amy right? Is Amy right? That she's, and they're like, <laughs> I don't agree. I do agree. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But, okay, so but, I'm, but I'm sure I'm sharing the link with you guys so that you guys can, you guys, you can all go watch it later. But you can't watch it now because that would be oh, it pasted as a video in the chat. That's yeah, because the chat's a little more interactive than the other one. But if you click on it, you can open up a new window and then pause it, so, so you'll have it later, um, yeah. which I just did. <laughs> it's called the, it's my video chat room is a little bit more sophisticated than the chat room that um, we used Blog to have, Talk yeah. gives us. A- yeah. the, it says, Amy ruins the Indiana Jones franchise. For those of you who are listening and you want to go watch it, just go to YouTube and Google and search for Amy ruins the Indiana Jones franchise. Well, I think she probably ruins Layers of the Lost Art, but I'm not sure how she could have ruined Tipples of Doom. That that was ruined on its own. What are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up. Whoa. I happen to like Temple of Doom. It's a really beautiful childhood memory for me. <laughs> uh, how could them eating those brains be a beautiful Anything childhood goes. memory? I don't know. It just is. Anything goes. I felt, I was, as a kid, I found that movie so gross. It was so, I, I'm better about it now, but when I was a kid, I just thought it was so nasty. The bug? The, the monkey brains? Just, Oh, the monkey brains. Was just, See, oh. me, me and my sisters used to, when we would come home from school, once a week, we would watch, for like a whole year, once a week, we would watch Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom. And what we would do is we would, um, that was the day that mom had to work late, so we would make, um, we would make um, baked potatoes, because we were allowed to use the oven, and we were allowed to use um, the uh, microwave, but we weren't allowed to use the stove. Because my sister set fire to it once. Anyways, so we made baked, we, we always had baked potatoes and pizza <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and we would watch Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom. It was our thing. Okay. And you apparently didn't mind the monkey brains. We always turned our faces at the monkey brains. And. Um, my littlest sister really didn't appreciate the bugs, and um, and uh, my little stepbrother, a little asshole, he really, really enjoyed the bugs. So it was a thing. But yeah, my sister did um, set fire to the um, um, stove trying to cook French fries one day. The ripping of the heart out. The, actually, you know what? We were mercenary little kids, and the ripping of the heart out didn't bother any of us. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Of course, it took us about, for me, it, it took me a couple years to figure out that um, that Willie thought she was going to get laid, and she didn't. <laughs> Honestly, worse is when um, Indiana Jones is fighting that bad guy in his room where Short Round is. And Short Round briefly lifts his hat and then puts it back down because for a second he thinks that Indiana Jones is getting lucky. Are you kidding me? Would they, would, how many times has Indiana Jones taken a woman to bed in front of this kid? 
The implications of that are pretty horrific, right? Right. It's terrible. But if we weren't watching Temple of, um, Temple of Doom, we were probably watching Space Camp. Ah, uh, Space Camp. Or The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter. Um, girls Just Want to Have Fun. Or um, The Night of the Comet. Oh, yeah, Night of I the Comet. I was really fond of Night of the Comet. Yeah, I'll take a snake over a spider any day. When NASA finally contacts them, I get a little teary watching um, Space Camp. Yeah, when they, when when the little robot finally finally interprets this Morse code that they've been sending all along, that's so mm-hmm. cute. But I really enjoy Night of the Comet too. And also I like that um terrible Stephen King movie with um Emilio Estevez in it. Um Maximum Overdrive. You weirdo. <laughs> I oh no, not Project X. No. Now, yes, Project X is got... sad. But Yes it is. What, I I'm with you on Aliens though. What most about Maximum Overdrive? Okay, so the comet goes by, machines lose their minds. Practically everybody disappears but these people in this diner. Where are all the fucking people? Or, or Did the machine kill all of them? That's a lot of people that we don't see. Mm-hmm. Like, 99% of the population disappears. Where the fuck did they go and why did they take Amelia Westerfest with them? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I love the Alien movies. Oh, I like Alien, Aliens. Um, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like stop. Although I do pump, like. Uh, uh, uh. Yep. Stop, yeah. Yeah. That's that's about it. I do like the line in um, in Alien um, Four when Sigourney Weaver Ripley asks, "Who do I have to?" Damn it. I'm going to ruin my my rating. Who do I have to fuck to get off the ship? And Ron Perlman says, I can get you off, not on the ship, not off the ship. <laughs> I, I allowed I, one F word in the PG-13, so that was the F word. Sorry, Jilly, I used it. Oh, darn it. And, I, and I'm, I'm like, I don't get one? Okay, so I liked, um, <laughs> I've, I've mentioned before that I like the first Alien vs. Predator movie. Just the first one. But, it's totally like this is an example of where they completely messed up on who you're supposed to be rooting for. Because I don't think, I mean, they wanted you. I mean, yes, you want the Predators to win in that scenario. Um, but I think you're supposed to be rooting for the girl, but you're just totally rooting for the Predator. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm totally like, rooting for the Predator, too. It's like, yes, yes, yes. It's like, well, she could die. That's all right. That's fine. We don't care if any humans survive at this point, just as long as the predators get the aliens. Because that was the point, right? It's alien versus predator. So it was like the human plot line was, the plot line with the humans was so, oh, hum. Yeah, yeah, kill them all. We don't care. But see, the thing about the predator is the predator has a code, which I always thought was really interesting, um, in that um, 
Yeah, they're playing um basically they're um they're trophy hunters. Uh, and they're um hunting humans uh, in the first movie and in the second. But they have standards. And they won't hunt you if you don't have a weapon. So if you walk into a jungle with a semi-automatic weapon, you you're screwed. Some hunting. <laughs> Don't be surprised if something hunts you back. Or pregnant. Right. Yeah, there was a pregnant woman in um in part two that he didn't kill. Yeah, the predators did have standards. And yes, the alien thing was like that was their sport. It was almost like a big video game for them. But if the thing is that uh um you know, they had rules. It's like if it got out of control, if the video game got out of control, they destroyed everything and started over. I mean, it's kind of cold, right? <laughs> We're just going to wipe Although out Although I do everything. think one of the more interesting moments in that movie is when the when the Predator is back up on the ship and that thing burst out of him. Oh, yeah. I so wanted the, that to... That was... And it was I a wanna, creepy looking little... That, a creepy looking little alien. If they wanted to do an awesome, genuine remake of the first alien, they could have set it on that Predator ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and see how that would have worked out. <laughs> but in terms of timeline changes oh. for for your blue moon challenge, um, I was actually talking to somebody the other day about whether to do a secret society thing or whether to do, you know, the the fantasy element is known. Um and I don't I don't think they decided yet, so I won't I won't reveal their their fantasy element. But I think it has you have to decide that based upon, you know, how much how much world deconstruction um do you and reconstruction do you want to do? Because it's, it is it's more work, but you have a lot more control, too. Um, if you do a sort of piece together the world in a different fashion. For instance, if magic is known and accepted as part of the world, then there are a couple of events in history that would not happen. Um, well, not a couple. Um, witch burnings wouldn't have been a thing. Um, no. The Spanish Inquisition would have been, if it happened, it would have been vastly different. The, the, Salem, the Salem witch trials. Yeah, you'd have big things, things about that you have to account for. One of the things about horror movies is, um, especially movies where um, the the horror elements are supernatural, is that they're scary because they're not real. There's there's this um, there's this something extra. Like what it, you know, when when you can't see in the dark, you don't know what's in the dark. But if but if witches and vampires and werewolves are real, what would movies? What would horror movies on that world be about? I mean, you can go to the grocery store and see a vampire. <laughs> it necessarily, if Bob's down the street, it's a werewolf. It's not particularly scary. 
So what would scare a person who grew up in a magical world? What would be their horror? Yeah, the movie industry would look really different in any of those scenarios, right? Because they would have some, depending upon the population, because movies are about money. So you'd have, you know, if if there's a large population of vampires, werewolves, or whatever, they're gonna somebody's gonna do movies that are geared towards them. Yeah. What is the what is the horror movie geared towards the vampire look like? Buffy's definitely the bad guy in that world. Well, yeah, she's practically a boogeyman. Although that's canon. That's canon that they uh that, that demons talk about Buffy like she's the boogeyman. Oh, come back, Chad. Well, in a world come with back. magic, there would be diseases that kill magic. Yeah, and you have to consider where you're going to have magic become known because the further back in history it's known, the more time you have to sort out the bullshit that was inevitable as a result of its revelation, right? Um, if if the revelation of magic is recent, the world could still be in a state of chaos trying to adjust to magic being real. Um and there could be really ugly things going on that you'd have to account for. Because odds are, unless somebody is just super, super powerful and can force compliance, which never goes well, um, there's going to be unrest. There's going to be people being killed. There's going to be people who want, you know, magical people locked up. You know, and, and, and swap, it, swap in whatever your fantasy element is. If werewolves come out of the closet, there's going to be people killing werewolves, there's people killing vampires. It's just, I mean, but the further back you or have that Or people killing happen, people they think are werewolves. Right, exactly, which is, which is one of the, um, which actually can be a useful plot device because um, then you have a bunch of innocent people who've been killed and it kind of startles people and, and brings about a sober moment. Um, but the further back, it, it, pros and cons, right? The further back in history you go and make your change... Um, the more ram- the fa- more fallout you have to account for. What in history is different? But all that ugliness is sorted out way back in history, and you don't have to deal with it on screen in your story. If it's the more recent it is, the less historical change you have to account for. But then you have to deal with a lot of potential unrest in the society that you're writing about. Um, so, like in, um. Subversive. I had decided that the lichens were became known in ancient Rome, um, and that had a because I wanted that that whole um, reaction to werewolves and stuff to happen way back in in ancient history, and not be something that was a factor in the world today, but that meant that I had a lot of thinking about, well, what is different? And I considered a lot more stuff than I actually wrote into the story because you don't want to ever write in all the stuff that you've considered. Um, If you've looked at hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years of history, you wouldn't write all that in. It would be really boring. But I focused mostly because it was relevant to my plot to the historical changes as they occurred in America. 
but I had to consider, you know, large portions of the world, world's history, and what would be different about that. It took me hours and hours and hours of pondering and thinking and looking stuff up and thinking about how would that be different. And it's easier to execute in terms of what's going on on screen, but it requires a lot more work up front. One of the more interesting tropes in Stargate is declassification. In our history, we have a terrible but somewhat perfect example of how the public at large would react to the acknowledgement of aliens or an alien invasion or an alien attack. If you look at the historical records um, surrounding um, the broadcast War of the Worlds, people who didn't realize it was just fiction lost their shit. So imagine how people today would react to a gold mothership in orbit. They'd lose their minds. Or the ancients. Or the Asgard. To see a real fucking Roswell Gray right there. Why, yes, yeah, some would be super excited, but others would be would be jumping off their fucking apartment building. Yeah, and some yeah, would be shooting the ships. I mean, yeah, it's gonna happen. But there, but when you look at the history of our species, what we really know, what would happen, people were gonna there would be mass suicides. It would be well, outrageous. I mean, he, yes, the people are gonna go batshit for a while. But eventually, provided nothing bad happens, like what happened in Independence Day, because Independence Day is a, is I actually thought they did a pretty good job of guessing how crazy things would get, that you would have people trying to get out of the major cities where those ships were, while people were still trying, were also trying to get to the ships. So you'd have the two mentalities get away from it, you know, um, and greet it, um, and then of course, and then people, people up there on fucking buildings it. with welcome signs, welcome to yeah. Earth, really. Yeah. So you'd, you'd have both fight, flight, and celebrate um, reactions. And I thought Independence Day did an interesting job of capturing how that would go with the congested streets. And the thing is, in Independence Day, of course, everything got blown to shit before – oops, there's my word. That's not too horrible. But everything got blown up before um, – before before people had a chance to get too far into the process of what would it look like in a world where there's, there's an alien invasion. Um so a lot of people, a good portion of the Earth population got killed really quickly. But what if you don't have, you know, that kind of mass murder going on? What if people just have to adjust to aliens or psychics or, you know, the world is going to go batshit insane for a while, but eventually people can't sustain batshit insane. And yeah, there's going to be people who are well, dead at the end of it, but the world will eventually find its equilibrium. I think if I did it, I would do it in stages. Definitely stages, yeah. Um, first, there'd be the acknowledgement the from there'd be the acknowledgement that we've um, encountered a, a genuine 
signal from space. Um, unless we had no choice, unless there literally was, you know, if Poppy Grande had made it to um, Earth and managed to, well, he well he did make it to Earth actually, but if he managed to, you know, land his um, his his very um, fancy ass ship on the Great Pyramid, it would have been an entirely um, different kind of um, situation. <laughs> yeah arrogant shit but you you you'd want to introduce it in stages um we've um we've found um evidence of life we found um maybe introduced the stargate um and the stabilization of a wormhole give it a little bit say okay we've we've gone to a planet <laughs> Take a film crew, yeah. and you get people to calm down in between revelations, and and then eventually they're just like, yeah, 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 what's next? And you're sort of building up their resistance to the news by introducing it slowly. It's sort of like a bad news vaccine. <laughs> and then you say, okay, we found some bad guys, but we, but we kick their ass. <laughs> by the time you get to the race who want to eat us and are trying to figure out where we are, people are like. Eh, <laughs> what time is America's Got Talent on? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to meet Todd. Todd doesn't seem all that interesting. What happened to Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Todd's not very fun. <laughs> we don't like what Todd did. Michael, Michael's sort of the anti-hero. We like him better. Can we hear more about Michael? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Wormhole extreme, but yeah, I mean, you know, I and I think honestly, I think aliens would be better received than hidden than hidden magical um, magical societies. It's one thing to say, okay, there are aliens on other planets, and we have this this ring thing we can make a wormhole with. We all we all know what wormholes are, um, and because um, we watch TV, and oh look, is John Crichton real? No, but here's a guy who looks a lot like him. <laughs> We we but to to say okay magic is real, um, they've been hiding amongst us forever. Well, they they we? hide their schools, they hide their animals. Um, they you can walk erase past your their mind. businesses. They can they erase can your erase, memory. They can, they can make you do whatever they want to do, and then erase your memory of it having been done. I honestly think Vernon Dursley would actually be kind of a moderate compared. Yeah. Magic, magic, honestly, I think magic and psychic powers, psychic powers amongst us are real. People around you can really read your mind. Um, I think magic and psychic powers, especially magic in the way that Harry Potter was depicted, where they can erase your memories, where they can compel you to do things, and they have been doing those things, those two scenarios are much worse than werewolves in terms of people reacting badly. I, and werewolves are bad enough. If people found out werewolves live among us and you don't know who they are, they'd go crazy. And dragons and vampires. And, and, and dragons um, and vampires. They'd go crazy over different species that can hide as humans, but not like they would over 
you can control my mind, you can read my mind, you can know my secrets. People go batshit insane over that kind of stuff. Oh, wait, what do you mean they can turn into a cat? Is is my cat a... My cat Are you me do some things I'd rather no one see. <laughs> and a bunch of crazy people go out and start killing their animals. My cat sits on the sink while, <laughs> while I pee. Yeah, people it start posting about cat. all the, the all the human like behaviors their animals engage in, which you know they're just animals. <laughs> you hope. You don't really have Minerva McGonagall living with you, although we did have a case of where a rat did hide with a family once. For a decade. For like plus. for like a decade, yeah. And people were like, "Wait, what? That that can happen." <laughs> Oh yeah, he was he was a he was he was a mass murderer, but we figured it out eventually. I think well, that um werewolves would be um uh it would be very dangerous to be a werewolf. Oh very. Very. I'm I'm actually working on a project where there's a reveal about werewolves existing. Um and I had to come up with um, you know, how, what what's the counter to that? How do they get people on their side? I come up with some interesting ideas, I think, for that. But um, you do have to find a way to counter that instant backlash about um, there are predators amongst us, right? And people seeing them as, you know, animals as opposed to the, the pe- person you've been living next door to for the last, you know, 50 years now you hate them because... But that's human nature. People would do that. But the reality is, is if suddenly we had a sentinel, just as a sentinel is in canon, not with all the tropes with the guide and all that and um, all the elements that we add in fandom, but if Jim Ellison existed just as he is in canon, and he was an example of what other humans are capable of it would be profoundly dangerous to be Jim Ellison and it would be worse to be to have the potential to be Jim Ellison that's right because the government would experiment on you one of the easiest things that I was able to um put together in my mind is that I wrote a fic where Harry and Hermione are basically the very last magicals on earth still resisting Voldemort and um, she's pregnant and he sends her to another dimension and the story she tells to people that she comes with um, she meets with is that basically um, Voldemort made war on everyone until magic was revealed to humans but humans, muggles already knew about magic because of the habit of um, interacting with governments but more because squibs were being kicked out of magical societies and but they still had magical genetics and the muggles had developed biological weapons to kill magical people And in response, Voldemort released Black Plague. 
all over the world. So by the time Harry pushed Hermione into another dimension with their with their baby, um, there were only magicals left, and there were only about there were only several thousand of those, and um, it was it was absolutely plausible in my mind from, from the very start how that would happen, how they would war on each other until there was nothing left. It's so easy to imagine because we're so intolerant of difference mm-hmm. as a species, not as an individual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to imagine. And eventually Harry follows her, um, and he has to deal with a whole new set of circumstances and a different version of Voldemort. And holy shit, all of his parents are alive, and he doesn't know how to deal with that. <laughs> He's a grown man. He shouldn't have to put up with a godfather and a father and a mother. And <laughs> What's this crazy crap? Everybody's in his business. So, you know, it's uh, it's just a different set of circumstances. And so it was very easy to imagine um, a world where Voldemort revealed magic and... Um, the non-magical world responded in a profoundly devastating way. I was telling my husband about it, and he said, do you really think that we would use biological weapons on magical people? I said, why wouldn't we? We've used biological weapons on our own people. Mm-hmm. And he went, yeah. He said, "I think." Yeah, he goes, "Don't you wish on a little, Don't you wish you lived on a different planet?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, sometimes." <laughs> I mean, it's almost like it, it, any time you introduce um, an element like a fantasy element, like if you're going to have where you're revealing to the world, it is super easy if you're being realistic to go to a dystopian place where the world just destroys itself. Um, So in a way, you actually kind of have to be working on best-case scenario. Like, you know, unless you're you're wanting to write something really dystopian and then go to town, you've got a really good vehicle for that. Um, Just put psychics next door to average people and the world's going to destroy itself. Um, But... You kind of have to kind of try to go, try to figure out a way that the worst case thing is not going to happen if you don't want to write um, that kind of outcome. If you if you aren't wanting to write Mad Max, then you know you have to find a way to 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 turn things so that you know you you introduce your fantasy element at a critical point when they save humanity, when humanity has like destroyed itself from some other reason, and your fantasy element is saving people. Um, the saving thing is kind of how I'm dealing with the. The werewolf thing um, is that werewolves are That's able to. That's how I to, did the steampunk thing. Yeah, it's like where the werewolves are able to help cure uh, a pervasive kind of disease, and um, people get over being frustrated about werewolves really quickly for the opportunity to, you know, be cured. So yeah. you just you yeah, it's, it's, because people because fundamentally the the urge to survive is more powerful than intolerance. So you just have to kind of find ways to to manipulate things to get you the outcome you want in a way that seems plausible. And it can definitely be done. It's you just you 
will have less of that to worry with if you toss your fantasy element emerging somewhere further back in history and how it shook out back then. And there's ways you can do that. I mean, there's a lot more war going on the further, you know, at certain times in history. And if your um, fantasy creature, magical, whatever, you know, helped bring about an end to a war that was killing a lot of people or healed um, some critical people who had fallen on the battlefield, well, you have to deal with repercussions to your timeline, but you would anyway because you've introduced magicals into... Um, the Roman Empire or something like that, whatever it is you're going to do. But you introduce them in a way that the world embraces this fantasy element as opposed to hates it. And you can kind of talk to that without having to get wrapped up in it, but you just have all that that turmoil happen before where your story sits. And it all depends on what kind of story you want, because maybe you want to write the turmoil. That could be your story. It's how the turmoil gets resolved. I like to be like past the turmoil. I like to be more like rebuilding. <laughs> I'm more comfortable there in a happy place. <laughs> I, like, I like being I'd a couple thousand, years, the shit I like a couple thousand <laughs> years past the turmoil. Usually, usually, I mean, you I know, am writing the turmoil. I don't want to deal with that shit. I'm sort of writing the turmoil a little bit in one story, but mostly I want it to be like way, 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 way back in the past because I just don't want to deal with. Yeah, I don't. I don't even want to rebuild. I'm, I've never been that interested in construction. I just, I just want the world to be what it is. But, the, but that also still requires a lot of work. The figuring out what does the world look like, um, realistically, if when you've changed all this stuff. And sometimes you do get a little unrealistic because you don't want the world to be that different. Maybe there'd be no, you know, maybe certain elements. You just decide maybe I'm gonna throw away certain elements so it has more plausibility, but you don't throw away everything. Because the reality is, is odds are if you've introduced a major fantasy element 2,000 years ago, like magicals or something, in a, in a fan fiction story, that odds are none of your characters exist. I mean, that's probably realistic, is that you've just obliterated everything known, which makes it then easier to write original fiction versus fan fiction. But so you've just got to find a compromise on, you know, a realistic look at consequences versus scaling that back a bit so that you preserve the story you're trying to tell. Because I do think that if magicals were known in the Harry Potter universe, I don't think Harry Potter would exist. It greatly depends on why he exists. Yeah, I mean, you could make it some version of Harry that exists, but you're not going to get, I just don't think you get James and Lily at that point in time. Like you pointed out, with that egg and that sperm producing that baby. You could call it Harry Potter, but it wouldn't be the exact same Harry Potter. But unless Harry is meant to be born just the way he is because of fate, if it's his fate to be here, to be in this time with this woman and this man as his parents to face this situation in the future. If you introduce an element like fate or a supernatural being like the Lord of Magic or Lady Magic, you can yeah insert you can overcome that at will. You can overcome the fact that 
magic magic being known likely would have wiped out all of the characters in Harry Potter. Um, you can overcome that with magical intervention. Author Handwife of Destiny. I make jazz hands every time we talk about the Handwave of Destiny, which jazz hands aren't exactly a hand <laughs> wave, but I can't help it. Wave. I do oh, the oh wave. yeah, like you know, elbow, 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 wrist, 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 like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Holder giggles. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you can. Um, I don't want this to be intimidating. So the fact of the matter is, is that you can dig deep into into your timeline and and how introducing these elements will impact world events or if you're in fan fiction you can wave it off because your readers aren't going to give a shit anyway just wave it <laughs> because nine times out of ten your reader isn't going to give a shit if the Titanic still sunk <laughs> even right. if you know it didn't <laughs> Because there was a magical person on it, and that magical person saved the ship. <laughs> but only you know that. They don't give a shit. Just wave. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. <laughs> so for those That's of you contemplating... Those of you who didn't get it. <laughs> but for those of you who are doing a big thing, big change, big world for November, don't fret. If you're doing something big and you're making big changes and you got you're worried about figuring out your ramifications, you've got lots of time to figure out your ramifications. You've got over two months, so take a deep breath and just start thinking about it. And it can be a, you can take a very light touch to your ramifications. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be big ripples; they can be little ripples. Don't make and, it. Don't make it a tsunami when, when when it can just be the tide. Okay. Right. <laughs> And come if you if you want to if you want to bounce it off of people, go up to the workshop and say, "Here's what I'm thinking about changing," and people will chime in and tell you, "This is what I think would change in the world." And you don't have to take anybody's advice. You don't have to take anybody's advice, but everybody's viewpoint is different, and it will give you a place to start from and things to consider. Okay, we're down. We're out of time. We got 33 seconds left. That's a great place to stop. You guys have a great evening, and we'll talk to you later. Say good night. Good night, everyone.